Welcome along to Scoreline Extra, the podcast that will condense down some of the interviews and post-match thoughts of the weekend here at KCLR. We'll hear from Derek Ling, the Kilkenny manager, after they unfortunately lost to Limerick in the All-Ireland final. We'll also hear the thoughts of Barry Nash, who is no doubt absolutely delighted after winning himself an All-Ireland title, another one. Seamus Kelly, the Kilkenny Intermediate Manager, will be joining us after Kilkenny bowed out at the semi-final stages in the Camogie, and also from Vincent Hogan and more here on Scoreline Extra. We'll start off with Derek Ling. Probably I thought we were well in the game. I said, you know, probably midway through the second half. I think, you know, they got that run, they got magnificent scores, and I think you you tie down one player, another player turns up. So all the time, you know, they're they have quality all over the pitch, they have quality coming off. More than ourselves, but um I think probably we had we had chances we needed to be really clinical today. Really clinical and we probably weren't efficient enough with some of the chances that we got. They were you know, they got some fantastic scores in the second half and I felt maybe a few of the fifty fifty calls I thought probably went Limerick's way and we needed them. We needed everything. Um we needed maybe, you know, one of those frees maybe around that period just to stem the tide. But when they get a run in you very, very difficult to to stop it. But I can't fault uh our players I thought they were you know, they never gave up, kept trying Kept working the lads that came on tried, um, you know, were trying to get a goal, you know, obviously trying to work a goal near the end, and they picked off a few scores and makes the scoreboard it's not as flattering to look at, but um, I can't fault the effort from everybody. And Paddy didn't come forward in the second half, but you did put Kenny in a decent position. Yeah. But ironically, it was Limerick that reacted really better to that score, so it does say a lot for the character in that team, but we have to acknowledge that. Oh, absolutely! Look, they're a fantastic team. They've quality everywhere. They have a really good setup, and like they don't, they will always come at you. And I was expecting that to happen, um, but it was just about you know maybe one or two scores around that around that time just to stop the momentum. But very very easy to say that we just found that difficult. But overall, I mean, there was character shown by Kenny. But at the end of the day, we needed to get that goal in the second. Maybe we have to keep. I I would agree, yeah, I thought at times just popped the ball over because, you know, there wasn't, you know, at that stage maybe there was six or seven in it and maybe one or two scores and, you know, like a bit like last year, things could have gotten a little bit nervy as well. But look, I again can't fault the players. They felt the chance was there and, you know, I've been, you know, saying to them all year, go go for it, you know, so um and that's what they tried to do. And that was it. Yeah, no, I was really happy, and we needed that. Um, very hard to maintain it. Um, they're such a strong physical team, and they keep coming at you. And you know, you could see visibly see some of our players just turn in the second half. We had to kind of rejig a few things around. Um, but again, like the effort, the effort was was really good, and I don't think I think nine points is harsh on us, to be honest. But um, look, it is what it is. Um, you know, our lads fronted up just wasn't good enough. He was outstanding. He's been outstanding all year. He's a fantastic player, and like, you know, he he emptied himself again. Uh, it was a brilliant battle, and look, at, he it's it's disappointing because when you're you know you're looking at all the the big players and where you need to win the battles, and you know I felt you won that, and that would have been that should have been a you know a big help for us to win. But you know, like I said to you, they have quality all over the pitch. They find pockets of space and they're able to score from distance and you know that win picked up obviously for the second half and they made really good use of it. Yeah, what makes of Yeah, he was really good, really good and that would stand to him. And we've a lot of we've a lot of players maybe didn't see action today that have been really close to it as well. And um so look there's plenty you know there's um Plenty of promise there for that squad of players, and uh, we just have to keep driving forward. That's all we can do now. It doesn't feel like it right now, but you know, when the dust settles, um, you know, that's what we'll be looking towards. Derek, can you describe what it's like when you get a run in the 
Uh, like, I mean, it's not enjoyable anyway. It's, it's, it's you know, you're, you're, try, you're trying to look at making a few changes, see can you, you know, stop, stop the momentum in some shape or fashion. And, like, we've got a great bounce from our bench all year. And again, like, lads came on today, some, some were forced really. We had a couple of injuries, a couple of bangs. Lads took heavy knocks as well. So, um, it's difficult. It's difficult. But we just didn't do enough to maybe, you know, um, around that time just to get a score or two, maybe just to stop it. And yeah, that's what we feel down. A team feeds off that when they're on top and they were scoring they were scoring sideline, it wasn't like they were working scored. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like that's that's so hard to combat. No, it is really hard to combat. I mean like and that's when the wind comes into play, you know, we, we, we didn't win the toss and like that can happen and we got, you know, maybe the wind helped us get a few scores in the first half. But as a game goes on, when bodies tire and you're shooting from out the field, that's when it's, you know, you like to have it and look, we didn't have it and it, that's no excuse by the way, we weren't good enough, um, but it would have helped. He was touching goal. Look, unfortunately, we gave him every opportunity. Um, he was actually really f- feeling good. Um, it's one of those things where we just had to make a call with the medical team, and we've got it. We got plenty of advice, and he was just marginally. It would have been a small risk, and uh, small enough though, to to not you know not let him out in the pitch. Um, really hardened the fella. Um, but look, hopefully he'll have bigger days. But it was too much of a risk in the end. Yeah, he was, yeah, because he has the physicality, he has youths, he has plenty of hurling, um, but we had plenty of lads to come in as well. Connor did, you know, did very well, he went back, wing back, obviously he got a knock and he couldn't come out to the second half as well, so that was a bit of a blow as well. But look, it is what it is, and we've, you know, we had plenty of lads in the line to come on and they gave everything, but, you know, it's, they've had their own injuries, so it's no excuse in here. Jerry, do you think matching their physical intensity is, is the key? That's probably key for every match, to be honest. You have to have the intensity, you have to have the work rate around the pitch, but particularly against them, you know, you have to be, you have to be there on the breaking ball and winning. You know that they're just so strong around that middle third. And um, I thought for a long time we made it a really good battle out there. And, um, and like I said, that momentum then they're just getting that flow and they get a bit of room and space. It's not as if we were cut open at all. Like I mean, there was scores from out the field or outrageous scores, fantastic scores. Um, and sometimes you know there's nothing you can do about it. Ah uh, yeah, no, they've proven that. You know, they've they've proven that now in the four in a row and they're you know, they don't look like to me they're, you know, getting any weaker. Um they've huge experience and you know their age profile is pretty good, so look they're gonna take stopping again, there's no question about it. They're a fantastic team. Yeah, it's a, a sweet feeling. Um, I suppose it hasn't really fully sunk in yet. Um, I suppose when we look back in our career, once we finish up, I think that's when it will really look back in your. You're up there, one of the greatest teams that's ever played the game, that Kenny teams in the in the in the two thousands. Um, but look, we, we kind of we, we every year we come in to, to play a new year, a new All Ireland Championship, Monster Championship. We just think of the next game. You know, every game we want to win, we want to get improved, we want to get better as a team. We've like Kino said in his speech there, it's, it's not just a group, it's not just a team, it's a family. Um, and I know it sounds a bit cliche, but that's exactly what it is. Like, you know, we've, uh, we've phenomenal men in that dressing room and women as well. Um, and look, it's, it's just an incredible feeling, yeah. Yeah, it was such a battle in there. Talk to us a little bit about the intensity. <clears throat> yeah, intensity was through the roof. Um, but we knew that coming into the game. Kenny are a phenomenal team. Um, we've had some tremendous battles with them over the years, going back right back into our, our early career, like, you know. Um, and we knew we were coming today, like those guys are, are phenomenal hurlers and I think it, they don't get the credit that they deserve, they're an unbelievable team. Um, but like, look, it, it, it was a fantastic game, I suppose, for anyone watching, you know, there was, Kenny were ahead, we came back, Kenny were ahead, you know, it's, it's that type of game, so, uh, no, it was, it was a really high intensity game, yeah. Well, three points down at half-time, how does that feel? Do you feel pressure at all? Back in the second half, we did it in the semi final as well, having probably the best part of the game for the second half time and time again. 
Yeah, look, we're, we're cool, calm, and collected. Like you know, we're we're a very composed team. Um, look, we I suppose we weren't we didn't really get into much of a flow in the first half. But uh, I know I know the men that were on the field with us there today, and the boys coming off the bench, and I know what we can do those guys. You could see it there in the second half. There were scores going over from everywhere. And um, once we get into that flow, into that rhythm, I, it, it takes some team to stop us. Yeah, look, I suppose that was a real kick up to, you know what I mean? Um, we really had to get going then, like, you know, you look up the scoreboard, you're six points, five or six points down. Okay, lads, come on, we got to tune in. We got the first two scores in, in, in the second half. They get a goal, real momentum killer. But we know, like I said, the boys in that dressing, we all stand up. We're, we're just so many leaders on the field, so many leaders coming off the bench. It's just, fellas stand up and we're well able to do it. It'll be a different man every day. We go out to play. Um, and then everyone just rolls in behind them, you know, that's the way we are. All right, coming up to the first up to the half time against Galway, against Galway, you got on top of the game. Came and sent it forward, and he really starts to dictate the game at that stage, and he pulled a number of points and brought it back to three games. I saw that as a crucial time of the game, and I think he went in uh, kind of boiled by that. Yeah, look, you're talking about Keane Lynch there, you know. I think he's going to go down as one of the greatest hurlers to ever play the game, you know, if not already. Um, they don't call him the nickname the magician for, for nothing, like, you know. He's, he's a phenomenal leader for our group. You know, when Declan went down with the injury, Keane really stood up. He took the charge, he took the leadership. He took that leadership role in that Galway game. You know, he's just, he's an incredible man, and uh, I can't say enough about him. Well, what do you guys achieve for the role? I think it's phenomenal, <coughs> and I think you deserve enormous credit for it, and you're up there with probably the best team now. But in terms of winning today, I mean, winning a second time against Kilkenny, what has that been for you as a hurler? Because you would have seen Kilkenny, a big jumper, and you would have been like Kilkenny were in their heyday doing the right calling here. Yeah, I suppose, look, we looked up to a lot of those Kilkenny hurlers growing up. They would have been the guys at the top at the time. Um, yeah, look, I suppose, like I said, it hasn't really sunk in that we're kind of getting to that level, I suppose. But look, to beat Kilkenny any day of the week is a phenomenal achievement. Like I said, the tradition in that county, the hurlers that they have, um, it's just, yeah, it's a great achievement. And to be down with Sean Fielding and two leaders in Yeah, no, look, being down with those two guys, plenty more lads that we missed out as well, like, but those two guys are phenomenal leaders in our group. You know, Declan Hannon, one of the most, one of the greatest hurlers again to ever play. Shawnee Finn, probably the best cornerback to ever play, in my opinion. He's unbelievable. But the leadership role that they took up while they went down was incredible. Behind the scenes, nobody sees it, but we see it and we feel it. You know, to, to have those guys in our dressing room, in the back room, in the background is just, it, it helps us big time, you know. John just knew we needed to get going, you know. Paul was the same. We, we all knew it. We knew we just needed to get into our flow, like I said earlier. We needed to just get into our rhythm. Once we got into our rhythm, we could get the game into our hands and we can control the pace of the game and, 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 and drive on from there. What is it about John Kiley? He saw that Keenan just said he's your leader. You could see when he lifted the cup up there at home and stand. He was jumping around with it and he needed a lock to him. Yeah, there's a mad side to John as well. Like, you know, he's a, no, he's a phenomenal man. He's a, look, I, I, I don't even know if I can put into words the type of the man he is. He's a, incredible. He's a, he's just, I don't even know how to describe him. Uh, he's just a, a great man and a, a phenomenal leader. For you? Ah, it's just belt and knee, I'll be all right, you know, fear me. <clears throat> was it a 65? See, I just haven't a clue. I was just getting back into my position straight away when I saw it was a white ball. <laughs> Shem Kelly, commiserations. Absolutely heartbreak to lose an All-Ireland semi-final. No one one step away from an All-Ireland final in Crow Park. But in fairness to your girls, they died with their boots on out there. Probably a poor first half. You know, it didn't really start well. Came into it in the second half, scoring six points on the trot. Emma Minogue going ahead. Maybe you thought you had a one at that stage. Jerry come back with a 45 and then just an extra time they just seem to to blow you out of the water unfortunately yeah no look I think you're you're on you're on the ball there Martin in the, in the first half we just we didn't get up to the pace of the game with them and they were getting on the mountain to possessions we struggled to you know 
their number six hurled the mountain of the ball. I think she had 14 possessions in the in the first half alone. But the second half, then we came out and we, we got ourselves reorganised. We tied things up a bit, and I think the last 15 minutes when we showed the character this team has shown all year, you know, to be trailing a lot of that game to come back when it mattered the most, get scores under pressure, you know, and, and be up, be one point up in injury time again, only for the 45. You know, it could have been a different story there, but again, I think the turning point in that game was when Cleena Murphy saved that penalty. The whole thing just lifted. In fairness, to her, it was it was a great save, and she made two two there today. But in fairness, all year long, these girls have given their all. They, they did die with their boots on today. I think Derry just had that extra when it mattered the most, an extra time. They had the extra leg. They were able to push on, and we we just tired. I thought our backs were immense the whole way through the sixty minutes. They battled hard. There was a lot of ball coming back on top of them, but they just they just kept just kept plugging away at it. You know. Unfortunately, from your point of view, there was probably probably two long periods in that game that you went without scoring especially towards the latter end when you did get the six points in the row before that there was 10 minutes or so before you didn't score in extra time you didn't score in the first period of extra time either was that heartbreak then for yourselves you know knowing that you were leaving Jerry get that lead ahead of you at half time we, we felt that we were in the game and we were, we were able to hurl them when, when, when it mattered you know but we again you know you had we had our opportunities and we didn't take them at, at this level when you get to this stage of competition if you don't take your chances you know you're going to be punished at Derry, Derry took theirs and it mattered the most and they pushed it on you know when it mattered and they got over the line you know so but here in fairness to Derry great side they're well, look, they're well coached they're, they're well drilled and, and they have ambitions of being a senior team again like, it's all first teams and we're the only second team left in it and it can be a challenge with a second team to, to try and you know with up, balancing players up and down and stuff but I think what this team has achieved this year I know it's moral stuff now and we're, we're gutted we're not in the final but you know they got to a league final pushed the replay won a Leinster title they got to the they got to the last four you know in, in, in intermediate competition they had a great um, you know championship campaign top the group and all so look here, there's great things to be taken from it but these girls are absolutely good they're off their feet in there but everyone that came in tried their best I couldn't fault them man. I can't fault them you know they, they, they dive their boots on Well you've answered my next question there anyway that I was going to ask you because relatively in speaking terms it was a decent year like you know to get to a league final albeit a replay beaten by Cork you then beat Cork in the group stages to top the group come into a beat Wexford in a quarter final beat Carlo in a Leinster final as well all Ireland semi-final against probably one of the favourites and one of the strongest is in it. You've just said it. I mean, it has been a fantastic year for this group of players, for yourselves as well. And there's no shame in losing out to a team that's as strong as Jerry because they're physical, they're they're very good, and they have aspirations of going up senior. Yeah, look, they, they do they definitely do. Look, and in fairness to them, you know, they, they, I think they could go the distance now, you know. But the great thing about intermediate this year was, and I was trying to look back at the progress over here. Like, like I, I don't know how many intermediate teams over the years managed to get to, to so many finals or close to a final. You know, we were only putting the ball away from being in a, in a third final this year, you know. And for like any intermediates, that's fantastic. But it came down to the people, Martin, and there's a lot of people that should be acknowledged more sort of me here there's 35 girls in there and their honesty all year was brilliant the travelling that a lot of these girls did a lot of people don't know driving from Cork twice a week coming out from Dublin during the winter you know the management team as well giving up all their time at the end of the day we're all volunteers doing this and we're all doing it because every time you come to Kilkenny you just love the attitude these girls have you can you know you love wanting to come training them and work with them you know what I mean yes we have our ups and our downs but when I went to that dressing room now I know those girls are hurt but I know that you know, Kilkenny's future is secure in my eyes. There's girls coming through there now from under 16 minors. Girls in that dressing room that are going to be senior players and they're going to step into the, to the shoes of those girls that maybe might move on after this year. And there's going to be a bit of change in Kilkenny, obviously. We know Brian has stepped down and he's probably the reason I'm in here this year to try help him and get, get, get a nice balance this year, you know. But look, I think the girls today don't Kilkenny proud. You know, they, they, they dive with their boots on, they pushed on and it was just unfortunate in the end we just couldn't get over the line. Well, look, commiserations. Great to get to the All-Ireland semi-final. Hard luck and thanks for being so accommodating all year to ourselves here on KCLR and to the Come On Kind podcast as well. You've been a pleasure to deal with. And the best of luck to yourself and the team in the future. Thanks very much, man. Thanks for all the support you're here as well. Okay. Now, former Chief Sports Writer with the Irish Independent Vincent Hogan joins me on the line to give his thoughts on this Sunday's All-Ireland Final and reflect on a remarkable career in journalism as well as looking forward to what the future has to hold. Vincent, thanks for joining me today. How are you, first of all? I'm very well, Robbie. Um, Vincent, I do want to go over a lot in a limited amount of time, but before we chat about yourself and your own career, the All-Ireland Final, of course, is this Sunday. We're looking forward to it here in Kilkenny. Are you looking forward to it as a neutral? Hugely, Robbie. Um, you know, you just go back to last year's final, like Limerick scored 131 to win it by two points. You know, but, uh, I, I, I've been thinking about this actually in the last couple of weeks and how at the start of 
every recent year, if you were talking about the championship, how many people would have had Kilkenny down as contenders? And I'd say a few enough. So I, I think Kilkenny keep keep surprising people with um, their resilience and their, their their ability to hang hang tough in games. And you know, four Leinsters in a row for this Kilkenny team, like Kilkenny team that some would say is in transition. And I think it's 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 a very impressive achievement by Derek Ling that we get into this week now. And I haven't heard one ring, real mention of Brian Cody. And, and you know, Brian Cody stepped away and won three Leinsters in a row and beaten in an All Ireland final by two points. He steps away and and Derek just steps in, and it's 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 just it's flawless the way he's taken it. And and I think. Um, I think of all the teams out there that could really rattle Limerick right now, Kilkenny are probably the team. Just to pick up on something that you said there, Vincent, because it certainly has surprised me, the fact that there has been such such little mention of Brian Cody in Derek Ling's first year in charge. Is that a testament to the job Ling has done, or is it just the nature of Kilkenny, do you think, as a county? I think it's a bit of both, Robbie. I, I think it's also down to the fact that, that Derek himself is such an understated personality. He's a very likable fella. He's, he doesn't push himself forward that much. Um, I, I think he's just taken up the mantle in a in a very, I'd say, humble way. And um, you know, you're talking about taking over from the greatest hurling manager of all time, who are, when our grandkids are out there, I'd say Brian Cody will, will still be the greatest hurling manager of all time. So. What Derek has done done is hugely impressive, but I think it is it is an element of the the Kilkenny personality as well, Robbie. That they just don't get over excited about stuff. Yeah. They they take things in their stride, and and I I think that's part of the personality of this team. You saw you know in moments of crisis they just dig themselves out of it, and um, so I think it's a bit of both. Um, but it is it is a remarkable achievement in many ways. Uh, Brian Cody is, is almost an invisible presence here. No team has defeated Limerick in the knockout championship game since a team managed by Brian Cody. That 2019 All Ireland semi final where Kilkenny famously won by a single point. What do Kilkenny have to do to change that trend on Sunday? What does it take to beat this Limerick team? Is it as simple as going back to 19 and starting as fast as they did then? Or is it more complex now that Limerick are going for an unprecedented four in a row? I suspect it's more complex because I, I, I definitely suspect in 2019 that Limerick weren't ready for Kilkenny's ferocity in, in that opening. Did, did, did um, Kilkenny go 1-7 up or something to one point? Or yes. I don't think Limerick will be caught off guard by a Kilkenny team again in that in that fashion. Um, my own opinion is Kilkenny will probably need goals on Sunday. I don't think they'll outpoint uh, Limerick I think, you know, when you go back to last year's final and Limerick scored 31 points, like they can, they can pick points off from 70, 80 yards. So I'd be looking for goals from the likes of Owen Cody, Mossy Keown, TJ. I, I think if, 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 if Kilkenny are to win, in my opinion, they'll need two or three goals. Are Kilkenny a better team now than what they were this time last year when these sides met in the final? And are Limerick better or worse in your estimation? I think Kilkenny are better, Robbie. Um, I think they definitely look a more settled team. I don't think how you can possibly say Limerick are, 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 are anything but slightly diminished when Sean Finn is in there. I'm not sure Declan Hannan can possibly start on Sunday. Now, maybe he will, but have to have to be serious doubts about Declan starting. Now, if you take Sean Finn and Declan Hannan, two iconic players out of that defence, you have to say Limerick will be diminished to some degree. And that's what makes this intriguing. If the likes of Owen Cody on fire, what do Limerick do with them? Because I think they have to put Mike Casey on them because you can't pull Dan Morrissey out of fullback. So I, I definitely think that the, the, the margins have narrowed again. Now, when you say there's only two points in last year's final, that would have to suggest that Kilkenny have a huge chance here. And, and I think they do. Now, I mistakenly said that Limerick are going in pursuit of an unprecedented four in a row, of course, because Kilkenny did it from 06 to 09. Do you think that strive for greatness and, in a way, for immortality comes into play in the build-up to this game for either side? I'm sure it does. I'm, I, I'm sure from Limerick's point of view, they still are stung by that defeat by Kilkenny in 2019 because 
I don't doubt for a second that those John Kiley, Paul Kinnerk are probably thinking, but for that defeat, we'd probably be going for six in a row here. Because if you bear in mind, Kilkenny were beaten in that 2019 final by a Tipperary team that had been hammered by 12 points in the Munster final by Limerick. Now, Limerick, through that spell, definitely had it over Tipperary. And I think they would have been very confident of beating Tipperary in the final. So Kilkenny kind of caught them with a sucker punch. Um, and I, I absolutely believe that would be the attitude in the Limerick camp. You know, we talked about that four in a row Kilkenny team. Was it the greatest team we've seen? Well, Limerick believe they should be going for six in a row now. And, and, I, and I think if they get the four in a row, they will at least be able to say, well, we're on parity now with that great Kilkenny team and they'll push for another one next year. What will you be looking out for specifically once the game starts on Sunday, Vincent? Is there a particular matchup, a tactical element to the game, or just something generally? I'll be very, very keen to see who Kilkenny send on Aaron Galan, because to me, this guy is the real threat. Um, his ability in the air, and I've, I don't think I've seen a better player to just be able to root themselves to the ground in, in, a, in a way that unsettles their marker because you, you think of the first goal in the semi-final and, and Dahi Burke is one of the best full-backs of recent times and a very physical, big, powerful man. The way he just held his ground and knocked Dahi Burke backwards so that he has that ability to catch the ball and you see the number of times the defender marking him is knocked off balance. I would assume it's Hugh Lawler will go on him but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Mikey Butler who's obviously capable of doing brilliant man-marking man jobs. So that's the first thing I'll be looking to, Robbie. Who picks up Galan? Because Galan is the game-breaker. He, he's the one who makes the, the difference this year for, for Limerick. We don't want to think about defeat here, of course, in Kilkenny, Vincent. But while the hopes are always high ahead of an All-Ireland final, you never think about kind of the detriment possibly at, in the aftermath if you were to lose the game. For the development of this Kilkenny team, which is still quite young, would a loss potentially harm them going forward when you consider it wouldn't just be an all-earned final defeat, it would be a second consecutive all-earned final defeat to the same team? Do you think that will play into it at all if they were to come out on the losing side? I personally don't think so. I, I think uh, the big thing for Derek is that he gets a performance from Kilkenny and I think you almost always do get a performance from Kilkenny in these games, so I wouldn't worry about that. The history is there of teams that have, have lost two finals and come back to win the next. I think the, the Galway team that won in, in um, 88 and uh, 87 and 88, they'd lost the previous two finals. And, you know, it, it, it is very possible to come back from two, two defeats in a row um, to win. In fact, I think Brian Cody himself do that. Um, didn't Kenny lose in 98 when it would have been under Kevin Fenn? Yes, yes. And then they lost in, in Brian's first year in 99. And you think of what they became after that. So no, I wouldn't worry about it on, on, on Julia Robbie if, if they lose it a second one. I think the big thing for Derek is a performance. How do you see it going on Sunday, Vincent? I think it's it's very hard to call because I don't know how much purchase to put on that second half performance from Limerick against Galway. Was it a Galway collapse or did Limerick just catch fire? Is it a sign that Limerick are coming back to their best? I'm not sure because I think the previous 10 or 11 championship matches that Limerick played, and that goes back including last year's All-Ireland final, the semi-final, the number of one-score wins they've had. And I, I just got a sense that they were looking slightly weary of all of these battles that they're just scraping out through. And again, the same thing happened in this year's Monster final. They won by a point. But then they had, crucially, in my opinion, the, 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 the bonus of four weeks to prepare for the All-Ireland semi-final. So it could be that Limerick are actually coming strong again. I'm not certain because I think the Galway second half was terrible. But Kilkenny will definitely see opportunities. There were loads of goal opportunities for Galway in, in, in that first half against Limerick. And a, you know, a miraculous uh, thing was Mike Casey block on the line. I don't think he, he knew a hell of a lot about it. But Galway had potential to get goals in that first half and, and I think Kilkenny must be looking at that and thinking they have a chance but they have this ability to put up a huge score so I'd just marginally go for Limerick but wouldn't be remotely surprised if Kilkenny do it.
If we're to speak generally, and I know maybe the week building up to an All-Ireland final isn't the time, but um, I'd said I'd ask you anyway. A lot of talk about the style adopted by inter-county hurling teams this year specifically, but also in years gone by. Is hurling as enjoyable a spectacle for you as it was maybe 10, 15 years ago or even further back? Uh, to be perfectly honest, no. <laughs> I have to say it's not. <laughs> I, I would prefer... I, I would have actually preferred the old blood and thunder. Um, I, I, I think there's a huge element of football tactics have come into hurling, Robbie, and um, there's a possession-based game. Now, it, it can be very spectacular. We've seen incredibly good matches in in Munster, for example, one-score one matches in that. So I wouldn't be knocking it totally. I, I, think, I think the best teams are the ones that can mix it. But I think the, the trap that some teams have fallen into with this new style they're reading it out of a manual and it becomes quite robotic. Uh, it was it was beginning to happen under Brian Cody. It's definitely happening now under Derek Ling. And what you see with Limerick is the ability to mix it. You can go direct, you can go short. Uh, but we, we are seeing incredible skill sets from players. And I, and I think the thing that stand, makes this Limerick team stand out more than anything else is their ability to be precise in contact. They come out with those short passes out out of defence through the lines and they still have the ability to be very accurate with the hand passing and that in itself is, is a great skill and something to be to be cherished but if you're asking me honestly no I I would prefer the kind of the ad lib side of hurling that, that was there in the past and you know I'd probably go back to the 2014 all Ireland drawn all Ireland final between Kilkenny and, and Tip that's probably the, the favourite game I was ever at yeah, that was an incredible game. I, I'd actually agree with you completely. I think it's the, the greatest sporting event that I was lucky to attend. But just just in relation to what you're saying there, because I've spoken to a lot of people about this topic and they've, some have said that it'll pass in time and it's one of the evolutions that is currently in play. Others have said that it's a worrying trend that could remain in hurling for the longer term, like we have seen in football. Where would you stand there? Do you think this style of play will be adopted for maybe years and decades to come or do you think it'll just pass through like other styles of play and other adaptations I don't think it'll ever pass through completely I think we're always going to see an element of protecting possession you know that's that's never going to go Robbie because you know that's this idea of the centre back getting the ball and just skying at 90 yards that's gone and, and, and I don't see it coming back but I do think people should be mindful of what has happened in football where you have teams setting up essentially to stop the other team and they forget how to win a game. They, 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 they actually overlook that moment in a, in a match where they've got to go and win the thing rather than distinct, uh, as, as distinct from just hanging in there. Competing with freedom, I suppose, is the best way I'd put it. And just that flow that gets into a game when a team and individuals are just in the flow of a game. And we should never lose that. And, 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 and I think, you know, managers of teams need to be very careful. And I, and I think some have fallen into this trap of not 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 creating this game that's almost hurling by numbers. You've got to have a certain freedom. You've got to have a certain spontaneity in how you play. And I think the best teams are doing that. And just a final one on this before we get into your own career and your own life, Vincent. Limerick are going for four in a row. Kilkenny did it for most 6-0-9. I know it's the obvious question and maybe even the lazy question, but how do you compare both sides? Do you think one ranks above the other? I think in terms of four in a row at this stage, Robbie, you've got to play more games for a start. And, you know, the Kilkenny team that won the four in a row wouldn't have had to play the amount of games that you have to play now to win in All-Ireland. And uh, so on, on, on the level, on, on, on the argument of having to play more games, maybe it may be Limerick. But, you know, I would also say that right now, you know, the, what were the best hurling matches I ever witnessed would have been Tip Kilkenny matches. And, that Tip became that fierce opponent that challenged Kilkenny. And um, I, I'd probably be edging towards Limerick, I have to say, and I'm sure that's not what your listeners want to hear. No. But I, I, I do think they've had to play more games. I do think they probably believe they should be going for six in a row now. Um, it's a very different game now, of course, to the, the four in a row that Kilkenny were playing. But probably just on the basis of the the amount of games they've had to play to achieve this, 
maybe Limerick, but your 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 listeners won't like like me saying that. <laughs> Certainly not, and I don't either. I have to say, but no, it's a fair assessment. Our listeners, of course, will know you from your time with the Irish Independent, Vincent. You recently decided to step away from your role there as the chief sports writer. Why did you feel now was the right time for you? Well, it was very simple, Robbie. There was a there was a package put in front of every member of staff in Media House. They're, they're trying to cut back on salaries and. And I hadn't even considered that this was a possibility and it just became a possibility in late March, early April. And um, it just made total sense for me, Robbie. It's as simple as that. And uh, the more I thought about it, you know, I'm basically doing the same job for 43 years because I was five years with the Irish press before I moved over to the Independent in 85. So 38 years with the Independent. And actually, maybe the readers needed a break from me as well. But um, (laughs) no, I, I I just thought, God... Wouldn't it be lovely to have a summer off? And it's as simple as that. And, you know, I definitely won't stop working completely, Robbie. But right now I'm just loving having my summer Sundays back to myself. And like I was thinking about this Sunday now, probably the first All-Ireland hurling final that I've missed since probably 1980. Um, Although I I missed the replay in 2014 because I had a holiday booked in America. But So it's going to be very strange for me sitting at home, but I, I will be glued to the television. But it's... It's just that novelty of having a summer off, Robbie, and, and refresh the batteries and, and see what options are there. And hopefully there will be a few options by the end of the summer. I'm sure there will. And I should say, full disclosure, you recently did a superb interview, I have to say, with Joe Malloy on Off the Ball. And you touched on a lot of this. And the current state of sports journalism was something that you actually delved into with Joe as well. And I kind of listened intently, I have to say, as a young sports journalist myself. And something that I took away from it was maybe... There was kind of a longing for the past, not in a nostalgic way, but in terms of access and more access to sports people compared to now. And maybe also a worry about the kind of current approach that is taken and some concern for what the future holds. I hope that's not too deep, but is that a fair assessment of where you see sports journalism in terms of the past, the present and the future? Or is it more complex than that? Well, I think it's particularly worrying within the GA, um, Robbie. I think I'm right in saying that for the semi-finals, I don't think there was any media access to any of the camps before the All-Ireland semi-finals. And, you know, the idea, uh, I keep hearing this argument, well, the players are amateurs, they shouldn't have to do it. Of course they shouldn't have to do it. But the idea that they're amateurs means they don't want to do it is nonsense. And there's a, there's a lot of inter-county players, most of them are third-level educated anyway now at this stage, who are perfectly happy to engage with media. And it's like this thing that's rooted, this paranoia that's rooted in the idea that someone might stick something up on the dressing room wall of an insult that you've, you've cast towards the opposition. God, when has that happened? Like, that's, that's a load of nonsense. And I do, yeah, there's no doubt about it, I, I grew to find the whole thing a little bit. I'm not saying this was the way to do it either, but you go back to the old days. We used to walk straight into the dressing rooms and you could talk to any player you wanted. And, you know, obviously some players didn't want to talk and that's fine. But the lack of access and, and the the kind of needless paranoia, and one of the things I said in that interview to Joe Malloy, and I mean this so much, every GA writer I know is, is a member of a GA club. They're, they're GA people. Like, they're, they're not the enemy at the gate. And I just get this sense of them being pushed further and further back and I, th- I think it's completely unnecessary and it's 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 making the whole the whole thing of covering the GA is, is, is very sanitised now and very it's very unenjoyable because you don't get any real adult interaction with the people involved be it management or, or players I mean famously John Kiley came in after the 2018 All-Ireland semi-final win over Cork and basically lectured the media auditorium about, you know, if anyone approaches his players, he'd shut the whole thing down. And, you, and I suppose for me, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there that year and probably 10 or 15 years older than John Kiley, and I'm being lectured by a man who seems to be under the idea that journalists will be ringing his players the, the week of, a ma- of an All-Ireland final. And I think the whole thing has gone stupid. I think it's gone really stupid. And the GA needs to be very, very careful that it, it doesn't it doesn't take what it's got for granted because the idea that you can have two All-Ireland hurling semi-finals and zero interaction with media at a time when there's so much focus on so much other sport, I think there's a complacency at the top level of the GA which 
they need to be very careful about because I think I think they could end up getting stung if they're not careful. There's other things, of course, that have been in the public domain this year with the GA in terms of GA Go and not being able to buy tickets at the turnstiles and you have to use card rather than cash and, and a lot of other factors as well have come into play. Do you feel as though the GA are losing their way? Personally, yes, I do. Um, personally, I feel the, 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 the well. There's, there's going to be interesting debate about GA going in, in the next couple of weeks, anyway. Um, but it was it was initially intended for the the diaspora abroad, so that they could watch matches. And now it's become something very, very different. And again, the most basic point to be made about GA goes is you require a functioning internet to access it and. There's a lot of parts of rural Ireland that still don't have that, which is an extraordinary thing to say in 2023, but it's very true. And I think there's, a, there's a, an element of ageism creeping in that, you know, I, I, I can detect a kind of sarcasm towards people over 65. You know, Jesus, you know, they, they can't, they can't, don't know how to use computers or whatever. There's a, there's a nasty, spiteful attitude towards them. And, and I think the corporate dimension that's growing with, you know, you, you're talking about... You're talking about isolating people who've put their lives into the association, who've been volunteers in their clubs or whatever. And again, that goes back to what I'm saying. If if you are complacent about those people and what what they've done towards the history of the GA, you, you you're really playing with fire there. And I, and again, the simple thing of turnstiles, you know, you know, there should be an OAP turnstile at every match, in my opinion, so so that nobody. Has to has to ask someone to get them a ticket online or something. You know, there should. How hard is it to have one or two turnstiles at every match where OAPs can just turn up and pay their money with cash? That that should be a, a no brainer for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting point of view and something that I think the majority of people listening in will agree with. The GA, of course, Vincent, has been a huge part of your career and of your life. In terms of that career, how has sports writing and sports journalism changed from the 80s when you started all the way to now? I'm sure it's changed pretty profoundly. I mean, if you go back into the newspaper archives, Robbie, and you look at the, the coverage of a, a Leinster final in, in the early 80s, you might get a 10-paragraph match report, and that would be it. You get no quotes, you get no colour, nothing. So I think you know there, there was a big change in sports writing in the early 1980s to mid-1980s, where, for, the, for example, the Irish press... Um, David Walsh, who's now the chief sports writer with the, the Sunday Times in the UK. Martin Brehan, he's one of the greatest GA writers that the, the country has known. They joined in 1979. Um, I went into the Irish press in 1980, and there was a huge culture within the Irish press of encouraging um, writers to do things in a different way, to show more colour, to get more reaction. And I, I think the Irish press were very much the trend breakers um, in that sense. And, and since then, like the standard of sports writing in Ireland is extraordinary. I mean, your own county, Kilkenny, has, to my mind, the best hurling writer I've ever read in, in Enda McAvoy. And yeah. um, there's, there's just that level of brilliance out there. But it came from around that, that era of the, the, the 1980s, the mid-early to, to, to early to mid 1980s when the whole thing changed and you know people would be very surprised today if they went into the newspaper archives and just saw how little coverage there was even of an All-Ireland final maybe two pieces at most after an All-Ireland final and you know very little reaction and it's so it's a, it's a very different world now you're, you're also dealing of course with social media these days which is instantaneous everything is out there instantly Television coverage is wall to wall, um, so there's an element of the printed word has to go to a different place, and it has to give you a few windows into into a different side to it that um, wouldn't have have had that necessity in the past. And it's no bad thing because I think the coverage nowadays is is really top class. The next question I was going to ask you was actually around the style of writing that we consume and that writers do nowadays. Do you think we're moving away from the nuanced, sophisticated pieces that the likes of yourself, and you mentioned Martin Brehany there, and the Mac McAvoy, of course, do you think we're moving away from that? And if so, 
is that for the good of journalism and is that for the good of people reading newspapers and reading online publications? I think the biggest worry, Robbie, is there's an attention deficit problem now. And social media has added to this that people just want sound bites. Um, and it takes time to read um, a considered piece. But I, I, I do think there is still some very good writing out there. But whether it's, whether it's cherished as much as it needs to be, I'm not so sure about that. Because I think, I think that the media market is a very voracious market that changes almost by the week. There's, there's a, a huge sense of flux out there. Um, so I, I would hope, I mean, there'll be, there'll be people in the press box on Sunday who are the greatest writers, sports writers that this country has ever known. And I think they should be cherished. I'm not sure they are at the moment. Just to touch on your own career, Vincent, because I think it is something that needs to be celebrated. When you when you wrote a piece, because thousands and thousands of people would have read them, of course, and you would have known that before you wrote them. Did you aim it at anybody specifically? Was there a hypothetical reader that you aimed it at? Could you give us some sort of an insight into how you would go about writing a piece? I would always have felt, Robbie, that, that you know I would be going to matches and the GA correspondent or the GA reporter would be going to the same match almost always. Uh, that changed in later years where manpower was, was, was diminished. But uh, by and large, I had the freedom to chase a different angle, to look at it from a different angle. And that, that was a luxury, you know, allowed to me by the independent, which I'll always be grateful for. So I didn't have to do the nuts and bolts. I could indulge myself, if you like. And there, there is a huge element of, you know, with, with sports writing of self-indulgence on some level, Robbie, and, and sometimes doesn't work. And I, I think that's a trap. You know, I probably still fall into that trap sometimes these days, Robbie. And I, I think it's a trap. If I was advising young journalists, remember you're writing about what's in front of you. It's not about your use of language. It's not about how extensive your vocabulary is. It's about what's in front of you and painting a picture that's in front of you that maybe nobody else will have because that's that's what the reader wants. They want something different. And um, look, I, I was lucky enough for nearly four decades to be indulged by the Irish independent readers to do that. Um, but as I said earlier, maybe it's time to give them a break and uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll always be grateful for the, the opportunity I had. Just a couple more questions, if that's okay, Vincent. I'm conscious of time, but sure. um, you mentioned with Joe as well. I have to say, I love that interview. That's why I mentioned it so much. The sport events that you were at, the likes of the Olympics, the World Cup, um, of course, hurling is something that um, you said is still the best sport and still your favorite sport to this day. Is there a sporting event, a specific one, maybe a year, or just a general one that takes place that you wish you had attended? Wow, um, you, you caught me off the hop there, Robbie. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, no, I, I've always felt that the, the great events, if you can get close to them, are, are great boxing matches. And you know, I remember in my very young days working for Hater Sports Agency in London, and um, I used, to, I used to be sent to. In those days, copy was filed by phone, so I used to be sent to filed a copy of some of the biggest names in Fleet Street. Um, so I'd sit beside them and they'd type their copy out um, and I'd, I'd, I'd phone their copy in. So there was a great writer called Frank McGee of the Mirror, a uh, very yeah. renowned writer. So I remember being ringside with him at a boxing, big boxing event and he was typing his, his copy and I was reading it out then to the copy taker. And at one stage, this big blurt of blood arrived down onto the onto the page because there was someone getting pummeled directly over my head and the access that you can get to boxing or certainly that you could get in those days to be that close to something elemental like that always struck me as an incredibly privileged and incredibly probably invasive of us to be, be that close but from 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 those early days, I would have been just a teenager at the time. I, I've always been fascinated by boxers and and by the courage they have in just climbing those three steps and getting between the ropes when most of us wouldn't ever dream of it. And I've always 
I've always admired boxers massively for that. So, you know, I think the stories that boxers can tell are always the most compelling in sport, nearly. We've spoken a lot about the past, the present and the future in terms of sports journalism and the general way that sports is reported on, rather. Sports generally, Vincent, I mean, a lot of people will lament the fact that the Middle East have come into sports in terms of Saudi Arabia and the money they're pumping into it in recent years and this year specifically. Is sport in the most unhealthy state it's been in your lifetime, do you think? Or is that a complete over-exaggeration? It's a, it's, a, it's a very good question, Robbie, and I, I'm, I'm not sure how to answer it because I think right now the, the money that, say, Saudi Arabia is pouring into sports uh, as a form of sports washing is breathtaking. I mean, you know, I'd be a Liverpool fan and, you know, 33-year-old Jordan Henderson being offered to, to go there and you're thinking, you know, think of going to Saudi Arabia or seems to be thinking of going to Saudi Arabia. I just think that... That amount of money turns every head. It turns every head. And you just wonder where they will stop with this. We've seen the impact on golf. But that that kind of money is going in everywhere as well, Robbie. You know, in professional sport, find me a professional sport that doesn't have some kind of blood money in it. I, I, I think you'll struggle. I think we still have wonderful contests and wonderful sports um, that that kind of will elevate you above above the, the the murky everyday stuff that we're reading about, and you know sometimes you have to almost bypass these arguments about all this money coming in because I'm not sure where you stop. You go go to a go going to Olympics because you look at the sprinters and you don't you don't really believe in any of them. You look at the long distance runners, you don't really believe in any of them, and at some stage you have to park that cynicism and skepticism. And just sit there and enjoy the spectacle for what you can. Um, the question you've asked me is for probably someone a lot wiser than me, Robbie, and I haven't answered this remotely well enough, I, I'm sure. But I, I think it's exhausting when you get into the moral side of sport because those questions are everywhere. Yeah, well, it was a superb answer, I have to say. And very finally, Vincent, we've spoken about your past glories and how astonishing a career you've had, and that is not an over-exaggeration. What does the future hold for Vincent Hogan? No idea, Robbie. No idea. And I really have no plans whatsoever other than to get to the far end of the summer relaxing and, you know, recharge the batteries and you know I'm, I'm hoping a few things will crop up and I can get back into it I'm sure for example I you know I'm, I'm quite happy to be at home for next year's next Sunday's hurling final I'm sure this time next year I'll be desperate to be at these matches again mm. but right now I'm just recharging the batteries and very much an open mind for the future but you know I, I, I definitely won't be stopping I'll definitely be doing something well that's brilliant to hear a well earned break do enjoy the match on Sunday and Vincent Hogan thanks ever so much for talking to me today it's been a pleasure Robbie thanks a million I've been Shane O'Keefe that's been Scoreline Extra remember to stay safe stay sane and you're sound out